Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with author and visionary founder of The Woman's School, January Donovan. The Woman's School is a mindset and skill set training school for women. She has 25 years of experience coaching women and is a two-time best-selling author. She was featured in the Forbes list of top self-worth strategists. She built a multi-million dollar business in two years and went from zero to 40 plus countries in just three years. January has shared the stage with top influencers and leaders in the world. She built a multi multi-million dollar business with her husband while raising eight children. She believes that women's voices, especially mothers, are needed in every facet of society more than ever. Enjoy this incredible journey. Well, well, let's move into happy things here. So Thank let's you. get... <laughs> it's okay. We're fiery about it. We're grateful yeah. to be here and alive. Yeah. So. For sure. For sure. You have such a great story. And before we get into your story, oh, I want to I want to know we're getting on the four year anniversary of this COVID thing. Mm. How did you get through the pandemic and how did it subsequently change you? Oh my gosh. Well, everyone thing went online. Yeah. And so the school became more relevant because everybody, you know, I trained women practical life skills and all of a sudden people were losing their mind and the community they were hungry for, everybody flocked to sort of this model of zoom. And then, so we, actually kind of grew to 43 countries because of the pandemic. And so to us, it was, it was kind of the it catapult us, honestly. Um, so we, in terms of just the business you mean, or just period in general? Just kind of in general. Yeah. I think the Venn oh, diagram bleeds into itself. I mean, between business and personal. All right. Yes. Um, it was great for us. I have eight children. I, and so we simplified our life. And I live in this town, Florida, which is glorious because it's it was warm so we could be out. Yeah. But then we got out of the, um, we weren't on lockdown for a long time. Yeah. So honestly, I don't think we, we, we experienced being hit by it the way the whole country did. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think oh, to be honest, mentally, the pandemic was kind of like a, I you know, the best way I can describe it, and I'd love to know what your thoughts are, was grief. And what I mean by that, grief from a world of I once thought was more just, um, more righteous. And I kind of woke up to this world where things sort of unraveled in front of me. And I realized things weren't actually what I thought it was. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a couple of things for me, I have a son on the autism spectrum, so... Mm -hmm. I'm used to pivoting and, and feeling that the only thing I'm in control of is how much love I can dole out to those that are around me. Other than that, we don't really have control of a lot of these factors, but I also ramped up, I have a jazz radio show, so I ramped up my interviews with a lot of these mm -hmm. musicians. And I, on the one hand, I was very sad for the fact that the bread and butter for a musician is to play live. And mm -hmm. that all fell away within seconds. But the other thing is, is that since I was with my kids more, I would play the interviews i would interview with the speaker on the phone and mm -hmm. the and the timber and tenor of these musicians was very mm -hmm. strong very mm -hmm. optimistic very positive and i was so happy that i could give that to my kids that's such a gift why why were they optimistic i'm just curious jazz musicians i've i've talked and been around a lot of people on this planet after 51 years and jazz musicians are a very special breed they are mm -hmm. some of the most talented grounded mm -hmm. wondrous people with empathy and heart that i've ever met they want really? to give the, yes they want to give the craft to the younger generations they're very open I mean, you talk the top of the food chain right now like sonny rollins 
He is one of the nicest people in the world. In fact, during this time of interviewing people, I found out that after 9-11 happened, he went to the ground after those towers fell and played his horn. And an interviewer went up and didn't know who he was and said, hey, sir, what are you doing here? Who are you? And he's like, I'm Sonny Rollins. And he just... He had that's the heart of jazz musicians. He just had mm -hmm. this empathy and this feeling. So anyway, I don't want to derail too much, but they're just very wondrous human beings. And I only wow. have one person that really was really upset that whole time that I interviewed him. And he wow. was a blind musician and he was just fed up with not getting royalties and all of that. But at, at the end of the day, I think there was a lot of silver linings that went into the way that people decided to live their lives they didn't want it to be wasted time and they wanted to charge forth and i think there's um, a lot to be said about that well thank you for sharing that it really actually awakens my heart even uh deeper appreciation not just for quality music but even the quality of people that is behind yeah. the music which to me is in dire need in our culture oh, yeah. quality music and i obviously i have teenagers and so i just feel like what happened to the art of music i know i know that's the thing <laughs> You know, I, I'm curious in your line yeah. of work, the one thing I did notice with all of these rules and regulations that have come down from our government, when did this war on women happen? When did reproductive rights start coming under fire? When did just some level of equanimity start being seen as something that we aren't going to do anymore? I don't understand. Well, I, okay. So the last hundred years, I'll t I'm just going to give you a synopsis. You yeah. know, we've been fighting for their freedom. Yeah. which is we are very lucky that I can be in front of you right now, right, equally. But what's happening is that the, the women have freedom, but there's data that supports that women have freedom, but they're not free. More depression, more anxiety, um, more, uh, I would say, unfulfillment. So all of that kind of led to people questioning why. And so they actually looked at the data of people who are more promiscuous. Why is it? Then they looked at the data of, do whatever you want model without responsibility. And so people started to question, um, is it really freedom when you're not free? So I think people went down the rabbit hole of what is true freedom? Is it the freedom to do whatever you want? And then also, so simultaneously, but then simultaneously, you know, as our technology grow, as our education grow, as a humanity, we start to kind of um, grow also in awareness. And I think what people were saying, it's like, okay, so there's life within you that's different from the life outside of you. And so then the question became, it was now an ethical question, you know, where you could see, you just even 30 years ago, you couldn't see that there was a heartbeat when the heartbeat was. So it's it becomes a moral dilemma, you know, because you want your freedom, but then also do you, de do you deny that there's a human person inside of you? So that became, you know, kind of the war, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and it's not, you know, and I think, and here's my thought on that and just whatever I always say, I'm like, we should be able to have a difference of opinion and have a healthy discussion and learn from each other. So that's kind of my, sure. my take on it. And it's like, I think that we have to harvest the good mm -hmm. from because I wouldn't be here without so much of the rights, uh, you know, of what it means to be a woman um, and then make it better and yeah. improve it and see, okay, can we look at really why women are unfulfilled today, which is why I teach what I teach. And I actually even try to get out of the more political because I think we can't solve the problem of women politically. We have to solve it interiorly. And I think 
what I'm fighting for is a new kind of freedom, which is interior freedom that is not contingent on the events and circumstantial. It's the freedom to choose your highest and best self. Women don't know how to do that. And I think that's the freedom that I hope and usher in my contribution, my, my small contribution to, I think, the world of women's right is the right to have interior freedom. So as with all of this work that you're doing with your school mm -hmm. and with, with being an author, let's get to the heart and soul of what you do do sure. so everyone understands. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at career day. And one of the kids says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you mm -hmm. answer that child? I say, I teach women how to be a woman, how to make decisions, how to honor their value, how to have quality friendships, how to design the woman you want to become how to manage your health, your, your mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health integrated as a whole, how to find the right person in your life, develop a standard, what you want, what you don't want, how to find your purpose in your life's work that fulfills you and not just practically, but in a way that makes you feel alive. And then how, how do you design an environment that inspires you? And then how do you define what wealth is? And then how do you create a family? that allows you to feel alive. So that's what I do. I teach women mindset and skill set to design every part of their life. And we call it the whole woman. So you obviously are in control of your dream and helping others get to their dreams. What did you want to be when you were in the third grade? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. To be honest with you, I was in the Philippines yeah. uh, when I was in third grade. And, and I think I dreamt of being in America. Okay. That was my dream. I didn't see my parents for five years and um, because they were immigrants and that's the only way you could have a legal visa. And so my dream was to be in America. That's what I remembered it. And one day I'll be there. And I knew that we, we would eventually be there, but because I knew it was a better life. I think that's the other thing that's going on in this modern world right now is that none of us are truly Americans. You know, I've been here my whole life, but my ancestors came from Italy to Ellis Island. There's there's all of these things. And I, I think the thing that that gets me about the way we roll in this country, it's kind of like mandatory military service. I think mm -hmm. like with Israel and Switzerland and countries like that, when you get a glimpse of how that works, you have a reverence for where you're from. The soil yeah. means more. And mm -hmm. and I don't think a lot of people understand that notion of what you said. You All you wanted to do was come here. So mm -hmm. what was the overwhelming desire to do? What was really kind of fueling that desire to get to that point? My parents' desire was a better life. America was the American dream. A lot of corruption in the Philippines. Uh, you could work so hard all your life and not achieve um, the heights of achievements that you could in America. So that was their motivation. Uh, but, you know, it was a sacrifice like most immigrants did. Like, I didn't see my parents for five years and there was no internet, which meant that I spoke with my parents on the phone. Um. And then we would record my voice and they would mail it and it would take three weeks. So I think that, as an, you know, to me, being American is a privilege that we sacrificed for. Yeah. And so I do think that, you know, that I do think it is worthy of a sacrifice. I don't think that it should, your, your parents sacrificed to come here. You know, it was a lot. So I do think that there has to be almost a reverence of both where I came from but also where I am. So I hold both. You know, I would say I'm a Filipino-American. I'm an American citizen. I have deep reverence for the history of what this country has done, but I also have deep reverence of the history that I was able to inherit from the Philippines, the richness of culture, the depth of meaning, the conversation, the wholesomeness, the poverty. I was 
my first encounters were in the slums of the Philippines into this American incredible world. Um, and so to me, I feel like when I come here, I'm not negating either or. Right. I am both and. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's something so beautiful about America being sort of a collective thing. I do think that we should we should do it in a way that that respects American. And and I say that to you because I can't, we can't just sort of come here also without the sacrifice that that is entailed. You know, my parents had to endure. I mean, I'm a mom of eight. I'm like, I can't imagine leaving my three year old right now, my four year old. Like, that's what they had to do. Yeah. And so I don't believe that it's a freebie. And it is a freebie. We don't. We take it for granted. Just as women right now who have our freedom, we take our freedom for granted because we think it's free. Yeah. And so. Freedom has to come with a responsibility and a price. So it was kind of a pioneer and someone that's helping people get to their dreams. Who's been that motivator, that hero, that inspiration for you? Oh my gosh. You know, I live like everyone else a hero in front of me, to be honest. I feel like I harvested good from a lot of people. Um, gosh, this is, comes as a crazy thing to say because I've had a challenging relationship with my own mother, but she fought the dream. She fought the dream. She hustled. But she didn't have the skill. You know, she came to America so boldly. I had a business in the Philippines, came here, I became a nanny, went to the bottom of the town pole. And so she just dared greatly, you know, and, and failed in many different ways, but kept going anyway. And so I think that has a, had a major influence in my life. Um, but to be honest, Joe, I, I, I teach dreaming as a skill set. Because I think they were always told to dream, but never taught how to dream. You know, so much of the woman's school that I teach are frameworks. I always think that, you know, Einstein gave us frameworks so we can replicate it for generations to come. And that's what I teach in the woman's school. Dreaming is a framework. I teach them as a framework. And so I didn't really kind of understand how to dream till later on in my life. I knew I had a vision. I wanted, I dreamt of a school for women at 21 years old. I drew it out. I imagined what it would be like to know how to have to to have a school where women were taught how to be a woman because I suffered because I didn't know how. So really my dream, uh, you know, my wounds became the compass towards my dream, but I didn't know how to do that. It was in daily study, daily intentionally growing who I was as a woman from the things that I never received that actually made me realize, oh, I can dream. Bob Proctor, do you know who he is? Yeah, oh, yeah. If I could say... There was one sort of very instrumental person in my life that influenced us to dream. It was it was honestly him. He was my first encounter of dreaming of something where he taught you to do something that you've never done before that is so big and bold, it scares you. Um, I, I read his book cover to cover over and over again as a mom before under four. And I thought, that's the reason why we are burdened every day with stress and anxiety, we don't have a vision. And even though we want to, we don't know how to. So he was instrumental. Think and Grow Rich, the book, uh, if you're familiar, yeah. was really instrumental for me um, to kind of discover the desires of my heart and how to unpack it and and not, not to put myself in a box. I was mom of four kids under four. I obviously, we obviously wanted a big family. How do I do that as a mother? How do I... You know, and it came down to this moment where I thought, 
I don't want to look at my child and say, you're the reason I give up my dreams. I want to look at my children and say, you're the reason I expanded my dreams. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting you bring this up about teaching women and giving them the framework to be women. Because mm -hmm. I think about the way that we educate in this country, like financial literacy, these very basic things <laughs> just are not a part of what we teach. No. You would think no. it is, but it's not. So you're you're instrumental in providing tools that are essential. Well, thank you for acknowledging that. I, I just think I needed it the most. Uh, so if you actually look at the education system and how it has evolved, um, we were trained to be sort of going into the industrial industry. Do what I tell you. This is what everyone says. It's a one size fits all. And you know that it's not a one size fits all. And so I think within the context of education system, we've actually are at risk of losing our own dignity personally, individually. So that's number one. I think number two, I'm not entirely sure that also our education system wants us to actually discover not just math and, you know, all these sciences, but who we are. Yeah. Because I think the purpose of education is to actually reveal to ourselves who we are. It should be educare, right? But it's not what's happening. So I don't even think there are basic tools that, like you said, financial literacy or planning skills. I mean, Joe, how do we go about life without a plan and know how to do that? Go through decades of education, not know some of the most basic skill sets, such as planning. We make 35,000 decisions a day, and we are not taught how to make decisions in our school system. What does that tell us? How do we decide who to marry, who not to marry, who to be friends with, who not, what to do with our life? In all, Not all decisions are equal. And that's what I teach in the school. It's like you, there's different varying degrees of decision. The decision to what your career and who to marry, who not to marry is different than what you do every single day of your life. I mean, what to eat, what not to eat. But all of which, if you don't know how to do it, you're left in indecision that leads to greater anxiety than also hijacks your energy for what more creative things. So let me ask you this. What is your motivation every day to wake up and not only to help people, but to ultimately evolve as a human? That's a, you're asking great questions that I often don't get in these podcasts, which I really appreciate. Absolutely. I'm always asking the questions. <laughs> I am motivated by a purpose to redeem the current narrative of women. It keeps me up at night. I feel like women are enslaved and I feel like I'm living a beautiful life that every woman actually ought and deserve. What I mean by that, there's peace. There's peace in my motherhood. I love what I'm doing. I'm married 18 years, happier than ever. I've got quality friendship. I believe every woman deserves that. So I'm motivated by a new vision of woman. That to me, the old model of feminism, I believe is becoming obsolete. We can't, Buck, Mr. Fuller said, Mr. Fuller, who was one of the genius that created the instruction is that you can't fight the old model. In order to actually, you have to reintroduce a new one. And so that's what motivates me. I think we need to reintroduce a new kind of woman that's motivated by interior freedom. So the one thing, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you're obviously very highly driven to have a wonderful career, but you have eight kids too. How mm -hmm. do you manage having that many children? How does that, because <laughs> you have to juggle all of this. And, sure. and I know having kids that it's a lot. So mm -hmm. how do you do that? Wow. It's a great question as well. Uh, you can't do it with the same mindset and the same skill set. So the way I'd like to kind of think about it, you know, you think of Elon Musk and you think of all these great people and like, how do they even have like 500 companies and do it, do it so well? 
I feel that same way. It's like I train myself. I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I am reading, studying, training, new skill set after skill set so that I don't, um, I don't compromise the priorities in my life. So that's what I train my mindset and I train my skill set. That's number one. I order every part of my life. And what I mean by that is that like I just gave you the eight different parts actually of a woman when you ask me a third grade question. So I'm looking at it, I'm redesigning it. When do I make dinner? What does dinner look like? When do I come home for my children? What does my morning routine look like? What does my evening routine look like? And I'm literally constantly designing and redesigning my life and figuring out who can I leverage out to? And who is it that mommy needs? Like I get up at 4.30 in the morning, my husband and I get up in the morning so I can study. And then seven o'clock, my children go down. So there's order and discipline in my home. They know I come down. Seven to nine is mommy time because they're right before school. And that's and I do all my work and I do it fast and furious <laughs> so that I can be home when my children are home. So it takes a whole lot of simplicity and a whole lot of discipline. And that's how I do it. And there's, you know, there's sacred times. And I my life is very simple. What I mean by that, I keep my priorities very orderly and I don't I do very less. And right now it's the season where my children need me for their own training and they're what I call formation. And so that's what it that's what I devote my time. I'm very fulfilled about it. But I'm also serving women all day long. Yeah. You know, from nine to three, three thirty-four. Sometimes I have to go a little bit longer, but it's like, no. My husband likes it when I make dinner. Like even though we have a housekeeper that helps me keep the house clean, it's like that, you know, why don't I offer that job? My job is to make sure I give my children a bath. I am filling their love bank. So you, you're very strategic, but you, you re it requires a lot of skill set, which is what I teach. I tell women, you can do it, but you can't do it with the same mindset and skill set. I can clean a kitchen and have a timer and do it so fast because I've trained myself for years and I'm training my daughters. You know, for some women, it could take two hours to kitchen. Or take some two hours to plan a menu or cook. I've just learned to do that in a very effective, you know, I can season a whole <laughs> a whole week's worth of meals in 10 minutes. I time myself, I teach this skill. That's why I do that. I actually do a practical life training. So what am I telling you? A lot of training, a lot of skill set, and a lot of humility to know that I haven't arrived. So if if you could get into a time machine right now and go back in history and see one event in mm. human history with your own eyes, what would you love to have witnessed happen? Gosh, that's, I don't actually, I don't know. I've never really actually thought about that. Okay. Um, and maybe because I'm busy in the present moment. Um, yeah. Or even a period a of time. Period of time. Hmm. I love, let me just see. I love understanding how the Romans lived. Yeah. I actually, um, when I have my spare time <laughs> at night, I'll look and put a documentary. I just watched Cleopatra. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating. I want to study the fascinating women in history yeah. to me, what they did, how they did it. Uh, I want to study how they were able to conquer a lot of things without losing their femininity. I'm fascinated by it. So yeah. maybe those time in history, I want to see all the great women, what they did. How were they mothers? How do they rule society? How did What did they do in their quiet time? Yep. I'm fascinated by that. That's the beauty of the backstory. So that leads me naturally into this next question. Everyone has a perception of you. Family, mm -hmm. friends, clients, colleagues. Mm -hmm. You run the show. What is your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Gosh. 
I love your questions. Thank I cannot you. tell you how much I love it. I love it because it's making me think very deeply. Uh, yeah. Um, if I were to just the first thing that comes into mind, I'm a teacher. I'm a servant. Um, I'm a mother, I would say. I'm a bold dreamer. I think I'm pioneering things. Um, I'm uncompromisingly fierce about my layers of discipline. I'm disciplined. Uh, I love to laugh. Uh, I say that everything to me is a source of wisdom. Um, bridge is a word that comes January actually means the bridge from the old to the new. And that's what I'm trying to do is to reintroduce a new woman from this old woman to this new woman. Um, I love the quiet life. Yeah. I don't like I don't like the limelight. I do what I do because I believe this is the work that I was intended to do. Um so yeah, that's January. I think I'm I'm that little girl back in the slums of the Philippines who love the ocean. Um, was grateful. Grateful. I love that answer. So if anyone wants to hire you, buy your books, reach out, learn more about you, what's the <laughs> best way to do that? Just go to Instagram, January Donovan, or thewomanschool.com, and you'll learn all about what I do. We have a signature program called the New Woman Masterclass. Excellent. That, this is the, yeah, this is the class that took us into 43 countries. Um, I'm refilming, I'm reteaching it live for the first time in five years. Again, we're actually currently, so you can join that party. Yeah. Um, I believe in this work so much. Absolutely. So final question, since you're named after a month, what is your favorite month? February. Okay. okay. It's my husband's birthday month. I love it. I love it. And he's my favorite person in the world. He's my everything man. That, so. that embodies the whole answer. I love it. January, this has been <laughs> illuminating and wonderful. Thank you for imparting your story. It's full of passion and, and wonder. I thank you very much. Thank you for asking great questions and giving me the opportunity to share my heart. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Yeah.